you are a top operative back under deep cover on your most important mission. People are trying to kill you left and right. You meet this beautiful, exotic woman. Come on. I don't want to spoil it for you, Doug, but you rest assured by the time the trip is over, you get the girl, kill the bad guys, and save the entire planet. All right, good evening and welcome to episode 14 of Man Cave Movie Review, the podcast where we discuss the good, the bad, and the ugly of movies for men. Today we'll be talking about our third Arnold movie, Total Recall. Joining me for this top-notch review is my good and dear friend, Jeff, get your ass to Mars, Muncie. <laughs> Steve, have you ever screwed a mutant before? <laughs> You know, there was this girl from Cleveland once, but <laughs> there we go. Golf clap for Jeff on that one. Uh, All right. And also joining us is my other good and dear friend, Mark Schizoid Embolism Slover. <laughs> you know, Steve, this movie taught me two very important things. If I find that I have a 58 caliber mini ball jammed up my nose as a tracking device, all I have to do to avoid being found is wrap a wet towel stylishly about my head and never get in a bar fight with a prostitute who is a little person. <laughs> is, it, is our time limit up now? <laughs> yeah, I can see how this was. Oh, my God. <laughs> we haven't even started drinking yet. That's the bad part. You know what? This one's going down as an epic show. All right, folks, so we are going to be talking about Total Recall. This is our third or third Arnold movie. I think we did Conan, then Predator, and now we're doing this one. And as I was joking last uh, last episode about this being uh, the best sci-fi movie ever made, it's it's not. Uh, it's not even a, it's not even a close uh, ninth, 90, 99th, 99th, 99th. But you know what, folks? It's a fun movie. It really is. It's like all. It's like most Arnold movies. I can count maybe about. Three Arnold movies that I would say are really good movies. The rest of them are, they're the classic man cave movies, but they're schlock. But they're fun to watch. They're fun. It's it's beer and pretzels. Don't think about it. Just watch it and have a good time. That's what this movie is. The day he is hired to do Shakespeare, I'm not watching it. Okay? Exactly. That's, that's not why you're hiring Arnold Schwarzenegger. Well, and you can see that when you saw movies like... Um, Twins, which, yeah, I mean, it really kindergarten cop. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that's another one. Kindergarten cop. It's like there's a jingle all the way. Yeah. Where do we stop? Yeah. Right here. Yeah, Where do we right here? Exactly. Thank you. Moving on. It's the same thing. It's like he's he's kind of like Stallone. Stallone is an action guy. He tries to do something other than action and they suck terribly. Except for one. Stallone had one good one. What? Uh, The one where he plays a cop. Copland. Copland. Yep. Copland. This movie stars Arnold Schwarzenegger, Rachel, you know, I cannot pronounce her last name. Is it Ticotin? Ticotin? I don't know. I'm going to go with three syllables. I'm going to call it Ticotin. Ticotin. All right. We're going to go with that. Uh, Sharon Stone, a very young Sharon Stone. She's probably only in her early 30s in this one. Uh, Ronnie Cox. Yes, that's his name. Uh, Michael Ironside. Marshall Bell. 
And that's about the only people that you're going to recognize in this movie. Another guy in here, uh, he plays one of the mutants. His name is Dean Norris. Probably don't know his name, but if you saw him, you'd go, oh, that guy. He's he's a character actor. He's been in a bunch of stuff, a lot of TV stuff. ton of stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. ton of like stuff. 100, 142 different things. Yeah. Basically, this movie is a... Yeah, what's the word? It's based off... Oh, I'm sorry. It's based off the uh, Philip K. Dick short story called We Will Sell It to You Wholesale. Am I right about that, Mark? Is that the... Right? I think it's We'll Remember It For You Wholesale. We'll Remember For You Wholesale. Yes, thank you. Pretty neat short story, but this one, obviously, they took uh, they took some liberties with it, uh, essentially. you think? Like with, like with the title? Yeah. <laughs> no. What was the title again? Yeah. I, I don't... Total Recall. I mean, Total Recall. No, no. no oh, no, the, the, uh, the book? The, the book. Yeah, we can remember it for you wholesale. Right. Do, do, do you want to go see a movie called That? Is that going to get you to go and check it out? Probably not. There's actually one part of the movie where uh, it's it's right around, I don't know, about the middle of it or so. Uh, there's a scene where uh, this doctor basically tells the entire plot and ending of the movie. And you don't really realize it until the very end of the movie. It's like, oh, that one scene. They basically said everything, how everything was going to turn out. And uh, it was kind of neat. But Arnold plays uh, Douglas Quaid, and Douglas Quaid is really uh, a deep cover secret agent. Oh, spoiler alert. Actually, it's not. It's really not a spoiler alert because they pretty much tell you that early on in the, uh, in the, in the movie. But he's a deep cover secret agent who has had his mind erased and implanted with uh, a new one. And I, I, will ha- I will say this much about the movie. The whole thing that Ronnie Cox, who plays Vilos Cohagen, had set up really was kind of ingenious. I mean, that whole elaborate setup that he did was really kind of neat. But overall, I mean, the, I mean, it ends up kind of how you see it's going to end up. I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, is really this deep cover secret agent who volunteered for this uh, mind erasure, and they turn him into this uh, really nice guy, but he's a construction worker, and then. Uh, he's supposed to kind of infiltrate. He's basically kind of like a sleeper agent that they infiltrate the uh, the Mars Revolutionary Group. Obviously, things don't go Mr. Cohagen's way, but it almost did. But that's essentially the plot of the movie. Uh, one of the things that I do want to talk about is, or, or just ask you guys, uh, Mark, I, I think you've read the story. How does this fit in with the original um, Ooh, it's been a while. You know, it's like most stuff that's done by P- about P.K. Dick, um, short stories or novels. Um, his his short stories are pretty fun. His novels are pretty pretty turgid, and Hollywood does what it wants to do with it, right. which is take the basic concept and make it into a Hollywood action movie. Mm-hmm. I don't think it would have translated any other way. Um, I think it could have been handled differently. Jeff and I talked about this offline. I, I think this could have been a very interesting movie and a more thoughtful movie if it had been done by a different director. I always I said to Jeff, I thought this could have been an interesting uh, addition to the Blade Runner slash Alien universe if it had been handled differently. Um, but it wasn't. It was given to Verhoeven, who gave him a bucket of blood and any any type of grotesque um, bad special effects, and he'll pretty much take the movie in that direction, which is a shame, because I think under different direction it could have been a, a better movie and picked out some of those issues that Dick is really good at. Sorry, P.K. Dick, that came out bad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he, 
You know, wow. and and uh, and they touch on because it because Mark PK Dick sounds so much better. Yeah, I know <laughs> Philip K Dick. Sorry, <laughs> I, I guess my takeaway, and I mentioned this to Jeff, is it could have really they could have explored this in a with a better director, and that's my hang up with it. The way Blade Runner was handled, Blade Runner looked at what is it to be human, what is the meaning of being human. This is what is real. They ham fist that whole issue of is it real or is it a memory. What is real? What is reality? And I, I wish that that had been done differently, but uh, y- you got an Arnold movie, and right. so you're not going to get any depth to it. You're going to get Arnold. And and I knew that going in. We all know that. It's right. a popcorn movie. Right. And I saw this kind of in the same vein as, uh, you know, Commando or Raw Deal, but just with a little bit more fancier special effects in that. And and that's true too, because Verhoeven did this. And uh, be honest with you, one of the other when I was going through the the uh, trivia, one of the other directors that they were looking at, and I'll tell you, man, you want to talk about something that could have been really bloody and ugly, was Cronenberg. They were actually looking at. Oh, can you imagine this movie with Cronenberg? This movie, when they originally screened it in front of the uh, the ratings, they gave it an X. They gave it an X rating because of the violence. So you can just imagine this movie is about as bloody and as gory as an action movie as you would have saw in 1990. And even by today's standards, it's still kind of up there in terms of just the the nastiness of like when people are getting shot. There It is. It's buckets of blood flying everywhere. And I kept thinking, God, if Cronenberg had this thing, this thing would have just been. It would have had to have been a different movie if Cronenberg did. Well, the reason they had... Uh, the X rating removed. There was a scene in the escalator, uh, yeah, where yeah. where the the uh, Arnold uses a guy basically as a human shield. One of the cooler scenes in the movie, but they had to reshoot scenes and shoot it from a different angle to because that one scene alone stuck with the ratings. Who said because of all the violence and it was that one that that scene that they pointed out. What they were they were considered giving it an X. So they reshot that scene, but even after you resh- after the reshooting of everything. The human shield that Arnold uses, Swiss the cheese, is, it, it is an understatement, the Swiss cheese that that guy became. And, and that, I mean, and, and that's what you see in the movie. I mean, and, and I, I gave some props to whoever decided to do this. I mean, the wheeling of that body that Arnold did, you know, to the front, to the back, to the front, to the back, was pretty impressive. And it was a pretty cool scene. But, man, that was a lot of blood. Yeah. And then, and then at the very end, he just basically takes him and just, like, throws him down the escalator yeah. on top of the other yeah. guys. It's one of those things where it is a very, it's a very ugly scene. It's not like Arnold grabbed the guy. I mean, the guy had already been shot, and he fell into Arnold. And Arnold just kind of used him. He had already been hit. But still, it's it's a it's a pretty graphic scene. And yeah. there's a lot of that in this movie. Uh, it's a very violent movie. It's one of those where if they ever, you know, I'm sure they've put it on TV. They've put it, but oh, I can't even imagine the editing that had to go into. To put this thing on TV because, like I said, this thing started off as an X and it, it just went downhill from there. So, which for which for listeners now uh, in 1990, an X is basically in uh, NC17 NC17 right now. Is it NC17? Is that what that is? Yeah. They didn't they didn't have the NC17 rating at the time. They had uh, they were they were talking about it, but uh, out of this, you know, X is often re- related to usually some sort of sexual movie, uh, but this. They, they said, well, that's why they came up with the NC-17, which means no one underneath 17. You know, R means you can go in with a parent or a guardian. Right. X mean, or uh, NC-17 means you will not, no children underneath the age of 17 will per- be permitted at all. And so if this rating had been around in 1990, 
Um, they had started talking about going to a, this rating system in 1988. Um, and they would have definitely got an NC-17 rating now, which is now a kiss of death. You don't want an NC-17 rating now for anything. Well, and the other thing that pushed this movie over uh, across the boundary for its time is the number of F-bombs in this movie. Goodfellas, you know, really tips the scale, as we've all discussed. Yeah. But this was before Goodfellas, and there's a lot of F-bombs. I had forgotten how many F-bombs are in this movie. When I watched it again, again, just for the review, I sat there and thought, there's a lot of swearing in this movie. And it's not just the F-bombs. I mean, there's just swearing, period. And I would have been curious to see if they just did an F-bomb count, because it seemed like it was a lot. And, And it never really hit me until I was watching it for the podcast how much swearing is in this. It just seems odd because this type of movie shouldn't have that, this particular one for a sci-fi movie, because this is basically a sci-fi movie. And like I said, they're dropping it left and right in this movie. Steve, let me ask you, is this a sci-fi movie or is this a futuristic movie? That's a good question. Is that a new category? There is now some debate or some discussion going in that community, in that genre of what consider what is considered sci-fi and was considered futuristic, like futurism. Well, yeah, um, is you know, is this just talking about you know the future? Because technically, aren't we living in kind of a sci-fi world now? I mean, we have lasers, we have all kinds of stuff that we would have considered science fiction years ago. Right? Yeah, you know what? That's an excellent point, Jeff. Yeah, gosh, you're right. I mean, when I think about, geez, when I just graduated high school, when I got out of high school, um, hell, just what we're doing right now would been considered science fiction. I mean, right. we're, we're, we're talking to each other. We, I can see you guys, and we're on the Internet, and we're having this conversation. That was sci-fi in uh, 1986. For me, was, it, for me, it was. Some of us got on an email thread a while ago about some of the greatest sci-fi movies. And I said, well, our books, not movies, some of the greatest sci-fi books. I threw out, uh, you know, Pornell's Universe. And, yep. and I, was, I was corrected that Pornell's Universe really isn't science fiction. It's more future except for space travel there's nothing in there that's really fiction right. and and in this the only thing you really have fiction which i guess is plausible is the um the whole reactors that create an atmosphere in this well, movie yeah. which that is complete fiction which we will get to hopefully at some point because at, that's the point i wanted to take the dvd out and snap it in half <laughs> throw that, it away was that your deep blue sea moment you know <laughs> That's an obscure oh. callback. Yeah, we'll have to talk about that at some point. I've got a nervous twitch it? right now. It's a nervous <laughs> twitch. Oh. In, in, anything in this movie, there's not really much future, or there's not much science in this movie that is fiction. It's just no. transplanted transplanted from Earth. You know, video screens. Yeah. Uh, well, okay, okay. Maybe, maybe the giant, like you said, Mark, the mini ball up the nose. <laughs> um, but even then, you know, we can we can put tracking devices in people now. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, we we figured that out now in the uh, in the aughts, and well, hell, they they were doing that back in the nineteen nineties. Right. You I figure, mean, that, you figure in that, twenty twenty seventy four they could have come up with something bigger than the uh, marks of the mini ball. Well, I I gotta get okay. Let's talk about that. Real and quick. I never they, noticed that before, but that's an excellent point. I. <laughs> it's a fifty eight caliber mini ball. <laughs> that's great. That's for great. a movie taking place in twenty eighty four. The people that created this movie were really not visionaries. Okay, because <laughs> this movie you could look at now and say, oh, "Gosh, is that Los Angeles that they're in?" I I don't know. I mean, there's nothing really too too out of the world with this movie. No, even uh, the automobiles, that, while they're not rounded off. They've still got they're, – they're more angular, but they've even got that Prius kind of look about yeah, them. Yeah, and that's true. They all look like uh, – they, they all look like smart cars. 
Everybody's yeah. Driving, yeah, everybody's driving a smart car in this movie. So basically, you could say you could just change the date on this and said, "Well, it's you know 2014, and 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 you're good." Well, uh, speaking of where it was shot, it was actually shot in Mexico City, and a lot of the uh, the, the subway stuff was shot in their uh, Mexico City subway system. The, I want to talk a little bit about uh, some of the trivia in this because uh, there's pages of it, folks. Uh, there's a lot, and I highlighted what I thought were some of the more more interesting ones. The very first one, there is a scene where Arnold gets into a cab, and it's called the Johnny Cab. And the Johnny Cab is just, it's a robot, and he, uh, he'll he talk to you, ask you where you want to go, and he'll drive you there. And while he drives, he whistles this tune. And uh, according to the trivia, Johnny Cab whistles the Norwegian National Anthem. Mm-hmm. They need to get a better song. That's all I have to say. <laughs> It doesn't have a very good beat, and the kids will not want to dance to it. I'm just saying. And I'm sorry to any Norwegians out there. I was going to say apologies to our Norwegian audience. There's, yep. a, there's, there's a nice block of you out there. We want to give you a shout-out tonight. Thank you for listening. Yep. And uh, drop us a line on the website when you get a chance, www.mancavemoviereview.com. Back to you, Steve. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, the second part of the movie, we've actually kind of talked about this, but I'll just say it anyway. The original cut of the movie was given an X rating by the MPAA for excessive violence. Some violence was trimmed and different camera angles were used in some of the more over-the-top scenes, and the movie was then re-rated R. I like over-the-top scenes. That's classic. Like the poor rat. We throw the bucket of blood. The yeah, the, the, bucket, yeah, the bucket of blood. <laughs> Scream. Like, Damn, poor rat. And I'll tell you what. Do that's, it trying to eat a snack. I, those were very tame rats. And I will admit, I'm not. You, do, you guys know what my fear is. I'm, I'm very arachnophobic, as you heard prior to the show. Snakes don't bother me. Mice don't bother me. Really, not all that worried about rats. I'm not real crazy about rats in close proximity, as like they were. I mean, when I worked in the mill, we saw rats all the time. I killed my share of rats, and you wouldn't believe how big some of these suckers get, and especially the ones in the mill. Good lord! But. You know that scene where he's sitting in the in the uh, the old burnt out cement factory with the with the laptop, the big giant laptop, and he's sitting there doing that, and he's you know he's feeding the Snickers bar to the rats. I'm like, you know, I don't think I'd be that close to them. Rats have disease, but these were obviously nice lab rats or friendly rats. I kept waiting for him to like turn in the bend or something. There are no nice lab rats. By yeah, the way. there's just not nice rats. So uh, one of the other trivia things, and this, and actually this guy would have been great for the part because uh, the guy that played Richter, and that's Michael Ironside, and I love that dude. He is the ultimate great bad guy. He is right up there with any of the the bad guys you can think of, like Lee Van Cleef. He's the bad guy of the 70s and 80s, uh, Michael Ironside is. But another person that they were looking to have fill that part was uh, Robert Davi. And if you don't know who Robert Davi is, he's been in a bunch of stuff. He's a character actor, always plays a bad guy. For example, if you saw Die Hard, he was the one FBI agent, the the white guy. You had uh, was Agent Johnson and the other Agent Johnson. No relation. No relation. Thank you for, for pointing that out, which... Reminds me of Vietnam. I was 10. Yeah, I was, I was 10. 10, dickhead. Yeah. yeah. I just, and that was one of the more throwaway lines in that movie, but we're not going to get sidetracked there. Because <laughs> we'll do that one at some point. He would have worked really well. He he's got this menace about him. He does. He's a very menacing type of guy. He's, he's just one of those guys that just exudes villain. 
and he would have been a good fit in. I mean, my, I like Michael Ironside. He was very good in that role, but I think uh, Robert Davi would have pulled it off just as well. Well, you know what? He was he was great. Uh, he had a great part, a very, very short part in To Kill the Irishman. Mark, do you remember him? Robert Davi was in that? Oh, oh he man. was. Yes, he was. We're, yes, he we're, was. We're talking about the guy that was in Die Hard, right? Yeah. Yep, he well, was. The, You're the right. White Johnson, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Right. He had a very small part in Kill the Irishman, and yes, it was at did. the end. And, oh, he was, Mark, correct me yes. if I'm wrong, he was great. And he was thoroughly professional in a was cold, he, polite he was, oh, he was the assassin. Yes. Right. Yes, yes. Okay, got That's it. Right. Got oh, it. At my the very gosh. End. Yeah, you're right. Got Nothing it. Nothing personal. I, yep. I loved him in that role. Loved him. Yeah, you're right. I forgot. I forgot. The guy that. hasn't aged a bit either. No. Yeah, he's one. No, he's, he, you know, he, he, he looked pretty uh, pretty chewed up early on in his life, and he's maintained that um, that, that look throughout his life. It's great. Um, not, not too many people, uh, you know, start looking bad and then keep it. They usually start looking good and then and then get it. So. <laughs> yeah. oh, I'd like to say that we've all aged very nicely. I'm like a bottle of fine wine, guys, let me tell you. I get, I, I get, here we go. <laughs> Sorry. Comments on this show. We are not responsible for this. You know, I kind of had that one coming to me, but I'll let yeah, that. You, you yeah. led with your chin on that <laughs> Everybody Mark, gets Mark's, a free shot. Steve, uh, I don't know if uh, Steve told you, but he uh, he benched 300 and, uh, and, and, and 60 pounds today. No, not 60. Don't push it. Oh, I, three, 320. 320, that was my 320 best. pounds. Yeah, that's my personal best. Mark, that's I, like putting I you still, I can and still I out. on top of each other and him benching us. Well, actually, I take that back. Wait. All right, cut off my legs <laughs> and then putting me on top of you and then... Wait, wait, stop right there. Maybe not me on top of you there. Yeah, anyway. Thanks. Yeah, it was it was my personal best. I have been I've been suffering a little bit at the gym lately and started a different training session or uh, regimen, I should say, training regimen and uh was able to uh, uh overcome my uh deficiencies earlier in the month. Inadequacies? That too. But Well, okay. some of the, well the other thing, you know, you mentioned some of the character actors. I, I, let's talk about some of the people that were up for this role, other than Schwarzenegger. Jeff Bridges, Matthew Broderick, yes, Richard Dreyfuss, and Patrick Swayze. Of all those guys, I could see maybe Patrick Swayze. There was a lot of behind-the-scenes, God, what's a deal-making or going on? Dino De Laurentiis originally was supposed to do this movie, but his production company went into bankruptcy, Arnold really wanted to do the movie, so he went to the other company that did it. How do you pronounce that? Carol Co., I believe it is. Sounds good enough. It works. And went to them. They picked it up. But the original script really kind of called for the more mild-mannered, you know, not obviously the big hulking type dude that Arnold is. Uh, which is why they were looking at a Christopher Reeve or I mean, I, Richard Dreyfus. I really don't get that one. I mean, I, I could see any one of those guys. Dreyfus is a school teacher. That's basically a school teacher or oceanographer. That's all he can do. Matthew Broderick. <laughs> that may be the worst choice of the five. That yeah, that would have been. Yes. That would have just been ridiculous. I, I forgot about him. I actually tried because to put him out of my mind. If he, it, you know, he's he needs to be in roles where he's you know singing, you know. Donkey Yeah, Ferris Bueller, that would be great. The only movie other than that that he stands out in, if we're going to talk about Matthew Broderick, and I will give him a nod, is Glory. Yes. He nails Robert Gould Shaw. Yeah. yeah. Does he really? 
Yeah, he looks like Shaw. He does a very good job of. I, I really like him in the in the role. I think he's the weakest part of that movie. I think you could have got somebody in there twenty times better. Mm. Well, we'll we'll discuss that when we review it. Let's do that soon. But if Matthew Broderick had been in this movie, every time he showed up, I would have just been thinking Bueller. Yeah. Bueller. <laughs> that movie tidecasted him to death because he really can't do anything else. I mean, when I stopped thinking about it, other than like that in Glory, I the hell else has he been in? Oh, War, War Games. War Games. Okay. <laughs> okay, so he's been in three movies, and his claim to fame is he's married to uh, a horse lady, and that's oh. about it. I'm glad Sarah, you're... Jessica. <laughs> yeah. Parker. Okay, we're 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 completely off track. All right. Uh, in the DVD commentary, Paul Verhoeven said that for the love scene after Quaid wakes up from his nightmare, he wanted Sharon Stone to show off more skin for the scene, but Stone refused to do so. So he settled for shooting the scene as it was shown, but mentions that he got back while shooting the movie Basic Instinct. Uh, yeah, he did. And I'm going to just tell you right now, if you guys have never seen the director's cut, the Basic Instinct, holy cow. That was darn near a porn movie. <laughs> yeah, the sex scene between her and Michael Douglas was, I mean, literally borderline porn. How the hell that got by the rating system is beyond me. But obviously they didn't show the director's cut in the theater, I don't think so. But even even so, some of the, you know, even for that period of time, those scenes were just over the top. Total Recall, and this is actually something I want to talk about later on. This is, this is a big deal for me in this movie, is uh, Total Recall was one of the last major Hollywood blockbusters to make a large-scale use of miniature effects as opposed to CGI. And at the same time, it was also one of the first major Hollywood blockbusters to use CGI, mainly for the scenes involving X-ray scanners and have it look photo-real. So that is something I do want to kind of get into in this, because this movie, in a way kind of reminded me a lot of a lot of the 70s and 80s movies, particular The Thing. The Thing used a lot of that puppetry, a lot of that. And this movie reminded me of that. It reminded me of that special effects, that type of stuff. And we're talking, what, 10 years later, 9 years later? So anyway, this is this one's interesting. Is The final scene, Fading into White, is intentionally done by Paul Verhoeven to leave some question marks regarding whether everything was a dream and Quaid got lobotomized in the end. So there you go. The, that's some of the the most interesting trivia out of this movie, at least that I thought. Let's talk a little bit about the special effects in this movie. Uh, you know, for the period of time, yeah, I know, Mark. It's, it's it, it. Let's put it this way: it does not hold up. It does not hold up. I will give you that. It, it doesn't by today's standards. But then again, neither does the thing. The flip side is the thing is a much better movie and a much better story. <laughs> but, but you got me there. Well, but Blade Runner holds up. Blade Runner really kind of followed, um, kind of almost followed the. Oh, I almost said Star Trek. Good Lord, the Star Wars modeling style. A lot of it was done with models. A lot of it was done with set pieces. And yes, it does hold up very, very well. I mean, you have to admit the thing by today's standards. The special effects really don't. They don't hold up. I mean, they look, it looks very Harryhausen almost. Uh, but it's like one of those because of the acting, because of the characters there, because of the story and the whole thing. It, it's so easily overlooked. This movie, no. It's, it really makes the movie by today's standards even worse than it was then. So and and it was pretty bad then. If you see it on the big screen, and I did catch this one on the big screen, it was pretty cheesy. And I, I think yep. one of the reasons the thing still holds up, even with the special effects, 
that they used, the practical effects or whatever you want to call it, is while they you saw it, they were very careful with the camera angles and how long they lingered on it. Right. This movie, with the incredible balloon heads at the end of the yeah. movie, they make <laughs> Jeff shaking his head because he knows what I'm talking about. That That's one of the problems with this movie. If you know the effects aren't going to work that well, and i got to give the guys credit who did these effects. With what they had, they did a great job. But don't linger on them. Don't spend time on it with long camera shots. Because, boy, I, if I had been sitting there watching the dailies when they did those effects, I would have been like, wow, this is this is beyond bad, and there's nothing we can do about it. We're just going to have to go with it. Well, that's Verhoeven trying to gross out the audience, is all that. Well, is. and that's signature Verhoeven. If you look at all of his movies, if he does a, if he does a future movie, Starship Troopers, this, RoboCop, he's got that what I'll call claymation look about all his FX. Right. That's an excellent point. That's an excellent point. You're right. It was claymation. I I think there. I don't know if I'm following you guys when you say special effects in in the sense of uh, what we think of today as special effects. Or if you're talking about the the puppetry and the uh, makeup and because I, I I the the special effects that I noticed in here, I didn't think were too bad. Even though the the scene where they're trying to create the atmosphere when the I don't know what they were the generators or whatever were firing up. I thought the use of special effects there was okay. I didn't really see too much when it had that green, hazy glow about everything when they were firing up. I thought that was okay. I had some other issues with the movie, but I, it doesn't hold up, I think, now. I don't think it looked very good then. And I was talking to, I think, maybe both of you at one point this week that last week I, I, I had referred to Tombstone as, as far as the cinematography, as being very... Uh, made-for-TV-ish. I definitely think that this movie is... It, it, it almost looked like, it looks like it's a sci-fi special at times. That it was made for the TV. Right. I don't... I think the cinematography in this is very claustrophobic. It's very vanilla. Uh, and I think the set designs are very cheap. It, to me, it looks like a cheap movie. It is a cheap movie. And I, I will agree with you 100%. This is not... You, you were not seeing a whole ton of budget money put into uh er, obviously everything was literally done on a soundstage there's no doubt about that uh, but the budget for this was about 65 million dollars and it probably all went into actor salaries and just the uh well and you got to think too when you're doing a lot of that animatronic that puppetry and everything like that that's that's costing coin that's why you well, can do stuff today which oh well, gosh i mean you know by today's standards i mean movies are expensive now but look how much stuff is done today just using CGI. That stuff back then was very expensive simply because a lot of that work that they were doing is very labor intensive. The guy that played uh, Kuato, yeah, he was wearing an entire bodysuit that they had and to construct that was audio animatronic. I mean, he wasn't doing anything. That little Siamese twin thing that he had on his side, that was moving all people were controlling that. That was probably something that was very complex to construct and, and put together. And 15 for th- people. It took 15 people to operate that. Yeah. And when you think about it, how long did you see it? For oh, maybe, not, maybe maybe two, three minutes of the movie? Two or three minutes. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Very, very little time. And, uh, and that thing was creepy. It reminded me of uh, um, it reminded me of Belial from Basket Case. It freaked me out. And if anybody knows what I'm talking about there, you get a cookie. Wow. One thing I did like about the movie is the type of weapons that they used. I thought the weapons were really cool. The handguns that they had were almost like uh, 
they were almost like modified Uzis. I just like the look. I like the design of them. They looked very, God, what's the word? Um, ergonomic. Is that the word? You know, it that's just, a good word. is that a good word? Okay. If, word. if, if that's not a real word, I just made it up. I'm going to write that down now. But I like the look of the guns. I didn't like the look of the guards on Mars. Those guys just look stupid. I mean, they just kind of look like Keystone cops in their uniforms and that. And by the way, that was the other trivia thing. All the guards that weren't stuntmen were, I think, Marines from San Diego that went down there and uh, played the part. But overall, I thought it was pretty good as far as special effects. I really thought the coolest scene in the movie was the, the big fat lady where she starts flipping out, pulls her head off. That was kind of cool. That was something you never really kind of saw up to that point. I really thought that was neat. And it's really Arnold and the thing where he got that thing from. I have no idea because I didn't think that stuff would fit in that little suitcase that he stole. But <laughs> I, I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, it's you know by today's standards, you watch it and you go, yeah, you can tell that's all puppetry or whatever. But at the time, I remember I thought it was kind of neat. Well, it, at the time, you thought it was neat, and so did a lot of other people. That was the most talked about thing regarding this movie. Right. I remember people saying, you know, you, you know, wait till you get to the scene, and saying it was really, it was really, you know, a, a neat scene. You hadn't, you know, remember 1990, you hadn't seen a lot of that at this time. Right. Hey, Here, Steve, you get. mentioned you mentioned the firearms, and and most of them were European design. Mm-hmm. But the thing, and again, this movie, it's one of my pet peeves in movies. It's the never-ending bullets, and the we never yes. have to yeah. load. Any time in this movie, especially for the good guys, they're magic bullets. They're magic magazines. They just instantaneously replenish. It's science fiction. Well, it's not even that. He's right. You never actually saw anybody switch out a clip in this movie. I mean, you'll see that in other movies where they still have an endless supply of bullets, but they will occasionally you know, uh, change clips. Give me one mag change, please. Just one. And here's the thing, folks. For those of you who are not gun nuts like we are, if you have a fully automatic weapon, it's amazing how quick you can blow through a full mag. Take an AK-47, which is not a horribly fast-firing weapon by other other uh, assault weapons. Uh, if you hold that trigger down, you'll empty that sucker in about four seconds. And you will go everywhere but your target. If exactly. You yeah. yeah. That's one of the reasons, sidebar here, that's one of the reasons that after Vietnam... When they started redesigning the the M16, is they went away from the full auto to single shot and three round shots because they found out during Vietnam is that we were just literally spraying and praying. You were just unloading as much rounds downrange as you could, and they realized we're just wasting ammo. Go watch any YouTube video that's made by Al Qaeda, and these guys love to burn ammo. Yeah, they will. They have not learned fire discipline. Yeah, and that's fine by me. Yeah, and it's it's like you and just. They just unload ammo left and right. It's like an ever-ending clip. And they just pick up weapons, and they use that weapon through half the movie and never never have to change a clip or anything. So it, it's, and, they're, and it's guns. It's not a laser thing. And, so, and also with the firearms, if you know that your glass, which we've got lots of glass on Mars. Here we go. It, here, if you know you got glass and it's not bulletproof, it's not shatterproof, it, it, hell, it can't even stop a beer bottle, you're not going to use firearms. That's one of the worst parts of this movie is we, we're carting around firearms and, oh, we don't even have, we don't have, not bulletproof, we don't even have bullet resistant, we don't even have bottle resistant glass in this damn place. 
that actually that's one of the only things of this movie that really bothered me about one of the well, only things. It really, really to be honest with you, it really was. It it didn't drive the story. What was the point of that? Yeah, you had a couple of scenes where it's like a glass shot out, and you had the whole, you know, the the atmosphere sucking people out. But they didn't have to do that. It was absurd. The idea that everybody's living in this glass dome, or you have all these people in these glass domes all over Mars, and that if the dome cracks, uh, you know, they have storms on Mars, uh, just like they do here. I mean, stuff gets whipped up. And it seemed like that glass cracked pretty easy. And it didn't drive the story at all. It had no bearing on the story. Well, whoever whoever understood understood physics in this movie uh, when they wrote what, this wait, what script. What, yeah, what I know. That? It's the deep blue sea physics. Okay, <laughs> it must be the same two guys. All right, that worked on deep blue sea in this movie when they understood physics. Okay, because I'm going to tell you this movie has a problem with glass, and I'm going to go ahead and talk about glass now. Okay, because these are my two big beasts with this movie. All right. We have trounced on the, okay, well, little tiny bullet hole, you know, 9 millimeter goes to the window and sucks everybody out, okay? Design flaw, okay, if you can't tell me that in 2084 that we can't figure out how to build a building on Mars and use, you know, I don't know, some secure type glass that won't shatter when somebody walks by and, you know, flicks their booger on it, all right? That's, <laughs> oh, that's the first he, problem, oh okay? Oh, my God, he's the B word. I did. Booger. Uh, oh, be, be, stop. Out, okay? Stop now. The second part I have, the second problem we have with glass in this movie, okay, is at the end where they finally, you know, you know, reactivate the magic reactors. They get the reactors going again, or I should say, they get the reactors going. It's kicking out this magic atmosphere. The explosion from the the reactors generating crashes through the windows of the dome, and of course, you, you see. All these people being, you know, you know, you know, having buckets of glass dumped on them. All right. <laughs> if physics worked in this world, all right, these people would be shredded <laughs> to pieces. Okay, because not only are they blown, you know, you know, twenty feet, you know, through the bar. Okay, the glass should have shattered and ripped people to shreds. But no, you just see kind of glass being kind of sprinkled on people. <laughs> Seriously. Who wrote this stuff? Okay, that's I'm, I'm going to tell you who wrote this stuff. So he never gets a job again. All right. His name is uh, Philip K. Dick. Oh no, he was no, no, no. Oh, no. Um, Dan O'Brien, Ronald Sussett, and uh, Ronald Sussman, and Gary Goldman. Yeah. And Dan O'Bannon was the guy who did first treatment on Alien. Let's see. Is he tied in to Deep Blue Sea? Let's find out, shall we? Well, and the other thing that I just roll my eyes in this movie and go, why did you do this? I guess in 2084 or 2074, whenever this film takes place, is if you don't pay the cabbie and he's a robot cabbie, he drives into a wall and <laughs> self-destructs. <laughs> who, who knew? <laughs> Call me crazy. Oh, it's almost like the thing with the Johnny Cab in, in some of those scenes. You almost wonder, were they trying to do almost some humor in this movie? Because it, there's no, yes. Yes. there's no funny parts, but it's almost to the point where, like, was were they trying to be funny with this? Because if they did, it didn't work. They, they were. And the screenwriters of this were terrible. Now, here's the worst part of this. This was the 40th one, okay? So can you imagine, A, what the other 39 were like, and B, that they were worse than this? No. 40... Forty different screenplays were written for this movie. 
40, 40. And this was the one that was chosen. And again, I think it's because it was an Arnold vehicle. I, I think that, that drove a lot of why it ended up to be what it was. Right. And they tried to do a lot of those campy one-liners. To, to pander to yeah. Arnold. This is an Arnold vehicle, and we're going to do that. And that's a good point. I think they tried to... Well, part of it is they, you know Arnold wasn't even supposed to be in this. Arnold picked this up when um, uh, Dino's uh, production company went bankrupt. So he just pretty much really pushed to have this movie done. And he really wanted Verhoeven as a director because he really wanted to be in RoboCop. He loved RoboCop. Yeah, yeah you're right. This was driven towards uh, being you know the typical type of Arnold movie. And I don't knock Arnold. I mean, I, I like his movies. Like I said, it's, it's, beer, it's beer and popcorn. It's turn off brain, enjoy yourself. There's a few out there that he's that he's been in. The first one I'm going to just tell you right now, obviously he doesn't have much an acting part, and it was our first podcast, was Conan. I love Conan. I will always love Conan. One of my favorites. The only other movie that I can say that he really acted well in, if, and I'll say that, I mean, as far as acting well, and just played a great part, and the movie was great, and you guys know what I'm talking about, it's True Lies. Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's just it's it's a it's a top notch movie. It's and I mean his acting is really good for that movie. But everything else, I mean that you see him in as far as his action stuff, I mean it's just it's classic Arnold. I mean it's he may be classic Arnold, but aside from the last action hero, this may be his this may be of the genre of movie. Okay, now I'm not comparing it to Kindergarten Cop and Twins and you know BS like that. I think this may be his his worst role. Hmm. Mm. I wouldn't say it was his worst. Commando's up there. Yeah, Commando's pretty pretty flipping bad. I mean, that that movie's just bad all around. It's a pretty rough movie. It's it's bad. But and you know what, Jeff? Though let, let's let's talk about that real quick because when you look at some of the Arnold movies, I mean, obviously one of my favorites, and I, jeez, I'm gonna have to pull it up here just so I'm not sticking my foot in my mouth. But when I think in terms of well, okay, I'm glad I looked at this first, because it seemed like Commando, then Raw Deal, then Predator. It seemed like Predator was, all of a sudden, Arnold just became this very serious actor. I, I take that back. Not serious, but more believable. But you look at Raw Deal, you look at the movie Predator. Prior to that, he did Red Sonja. Before that, he did The Terminator. Terminator being a good movie, but you know he had a couple of lines. I mean, he had less lines in Terminator and he did in Conan, for God's sake. I think Predator was the one that really kind of put him on the star. Is that the right word? Maybe the star, you know, the star road where he was really becoming somebody to pay attention to. Because I'm looking at his IMBD, because after Predator, he did The Running Man. Then he did Red Heat, Twins. I don't know why I thought Twins was, was a 90s movie, but it was made in 88. Uh, and then after Twins, he did Total Recall. And he did Kindergarten Gop right after Total Recall. So. And he was cranking these things out. I'm not even going to go back, but we're going to start with Conan. 82, 84, 84, 85, 85, 86, 87, 87, 88, another one in 88, 1990, 1990. He did 1, 2, 3 in 1990, 91, 92. He did three movies in 1993. I mean, he was just all over the place. I mean, the guy is prolific. I mean, he's just... Like you said, uh, Mark, he's just cranking movies out left and right through that period, and it's and it's all it's all the same kind of stuff. Obviously, you know people like it because the guy is a major draw to movies. You put Arnold in the movie, people are going to go see it. Yeah, especially then. 
And Especially in 1990. Absolutely. 80s and 90s were his heyday. I mean, he was obviously, and then obviously went on to be the, the governor, and, uh, well, he pretty much terminated California, but oh well. <laughs> well, it was it was going down. <laughs> it was, yeah, just, it was going just, down. He did the coup de grace for that one. He, he did. I want to throw out this one now before I forget about it, because we have not been able to do this for a while because of the movies we've been watching, but we have to do our Babylon 5 connection. You got one? We got one. All right. I, looked, I couldn't one. find it. Right. Who is it? All right. Ray Brocksmith uh, played Dr. Edgemeyer in this movie. Dr. Edgemeyer was the guy that comes to the Hilton and is is talking to Mr. Hauser from the Psychoprobe console. Well, Ray Brocksmith played Brother Alwyn Maycomber yep. in Deconstruction of the Falling Stars, which was the last episode of season four. Yes, last episode of season four. So that is our Babylon 5 connection to uh, the great J. Michael Straczynski. That one's for you, buddy. Thank you for a great series. And as the podcast goes forward, we will be pointing out any B5 connections that we can find. Nice catch. Thank you. Great job, Steve. Great job. But uh, to tie into what you just said, I think that scene there where he shows up to try to convince him to... Uh, you know, that he needs to snap out of it. To me, it's one of the best scenes in the movie. It really is. I, I And I agree with you, Jeff. That really is one of the better scenes in the movie. Two things I want to say. This movie, not a bad movie, but I do understand and I do get why they are doing a reboot of this movie. And I'm kind of fine with it. Because I want to see if they can maybe attempt to do a better job of execution of the movie. Mm-hmm. I think the story in this movie... I think it works great. I think it's a good story. I think it's solid. Oh, absolutely. The story now, the story in this is fantastic. Now the writing of it yeah, that's well. that's that's where that's where you start going off the rails. And then you add some of the acting which just adds to it. And that those are the two things that just don't add a seamless connection here to the movie. Um, you, you have bits and pieces, but they they're not enough there's not enough in there to really hold this movie together. There are concepts in the movie, like I said with the glass. And again, I'm gonna start using this in my daily life. If in doubt and I find myself in a in a bad situation, I'm gonna look for the nearest piece of glass to dive through. Okay. <laughs> Because that's apparently the easiest way to get out of any situation, okay? Whether it's some sort of screening room or um, you're in a bar, just start diving diving through windows. Good luck um, with that. we know from our practical experience that as soon as you push on a window, it basically starts to shatter, right? So you can just keep going all the way through it. Yeah, and, and you won't get cut. Yeah, nope. and you won't get cut. Yeah, no, the scene, yeah, the scene when uh, when Richter dives through the, win, uh, the window from the, um, in the uh, bar, yeah. from the bar. You know what? You do that, and you will. Yeah, your head is just going to be. It'll be peeled like a grape, if right. you, if that was in reality. And yeah, like you said, there's a lot of glass in this movie. Obviously, you have a very hostile environment out there. There's no. There's no oxygen, and the glass. Like you said, you throw a bottle and it breaks. Yep. Great. Great design. I, I, would, I would call that an engineering flaw. I want to go back to that scene just real quick. Yeah, I think it's one of the best parts of the movie. And the, the thing I like about this movie is pretty much throughout the through the end of the movie, I keep questioning myself: is he is he dreaming, or is this real? Mm-hmm. And even in that scene where the doctor comes in and you know is trying to convince him to take the pill, and you're going to snap out of it, and everything's going to be okay, you're still wondering: is you know is he dreaming or not? And then that scene, the the part where he he has the sweat coming down his brow right and i thought that was just a fantastic touch you know what you don't sweat in dreams 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, Arnold did what he did, and you know, and the movie goes on from there. But I thought it was one of the one of the one of the best scenes in the movie. Yeah, and, and let me let me hop in there with you. The explanatory scenes, and there's a couple of them. That one, and I think the scene with Ronnie Cox, where he lays out, "Thank you, brother." To where he he tells Quaid, who is really Hauser, we lay out the whole subplot of you were a double agent. You know, you, you led us to the bat, you led us to the rebels, and you saved the day for the bad guys, as it were. Those two scenes, the one you mentioned, and then Ronnie Cox walking everybody through the double agent bit, I thought were really well done and helped flesh out the backstory of the movie. It's a shame that, in some respects, those came near the end of the movie, and then the final act of the movie just completely falls apart. Right, and you mentioned him, and I want to just jump into that real quick as far as actors. Uh, if there was one person that pretty much stole this movie, walked away with it, was Ronnie Cox. I, I mean, when I think about bad guys in movies, he ranks up there. And, you know, the thing of it is is that he's kind of scary. I've got a particular clip. I almost wonder if Michael Ironside, being the other bad guy, actually kind of wet himself a little bit during the scene, and we'll play that clip later. But he's very, very intense in this movie. When he, when Ronnie Cox gets pissed off, it's kind of, I mean, it's kind of scary. The, the only thing that ruined it for me was his foghorn leghorn hair. <laughs> well, <laughs> he looked like the gray-haired version of foghorn leghorn. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You're right. And I was going to say, yeah, the hairdo on him. I don't know if they were trying to go for some like futuristic look. Well, everybody. Well, that was the other thing. He kind of had that futuristic look about him. I think what they were trying to do with the hairdo. But when you started looking at everybody else, you know, like the, the, the people off to the side, you know, the, the background. The 80s hair? Oh, my God. It was unbelievable how much 80s hair you saw. And I'm thinking, dude, it's 1990. Weren't we? No, we hadn't changed yet. You know, you still need a couple of years to wash out all the bad hair from the 80s. Uh, and you saw a lot of that in this movie, which was really kind of neat. Why don't we just move on to clips right now? Let's just jump right into that since we were talking about it. There is something I'm going to have to do. This is going to have to be the clip for every every Arnold movie that we ever do. <laughs> and <laughs> have you guys listened to these yet? No. no. All right. We take a wild guess on this but, one. But we're, we're just going to play this. This just is going to be, if we start off with an Arnold movie, we're just going to do this. So I'm going to play clip one right now. <laughs> the classic Arnold screen. That is how I agree with Mark this morning on the phone. It, it is, and I thought you were Chewbacca at first. <laughs> yeah. Any any Arnold movie from this point forward, you're right. That's how we got to open it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we're going to go on the clip, too. And this is the scene where um, Arnold is talking to a co-worker and thinking about going to recall for his vacation. So we'll play that one right now. You ever heard of recall? Recall? You know where they sell those fake memories. A recall! Recall, recall, recall! You thinking of going there? I don't know. Maybe. Well, don't! Why not? A friend of mine tried one of their special offers, nearly got himself lobotomized. I like that particular scene because you saw, after they got done with their conversation, his buddy just kind of kept like looking at him. Mm-hmm. And and that's it's classic foreshadowing. You know you're going to see this guy again. You know you're going to see something come up. And one thing about this movie is that there's people that are just kind of keeping an eye on him because they know he is really um, 
you know, Hauser. They know he's had his mind erased, and we're just keeping an eye on him so he doesn't go off the rails. The next clip that I want to play, after they've uh, he's gone to recall, and he wanted to uh, go on a trip to Mars, and they sold him the idea of going to trip to Mars with an alter ego, go as a secret agent. And, and that was another, that was another scene there where they pretty much lay out the entire plot of the movie right at the scene. This is pretty much in the beginning of the movie. They pretty much lay out, this is how the movie starts and this is how it's going to end. And if you believe that right then and there, you know how it's going to end. Uh, this particular clip is, or the, the memory implant did not go as, as well as they thought. And Arnold is freaking out and, uh, they finally sedate him. And this is a clip where the doctors are discussing that. So I'm going to play that now. Listen to me. He has been going on and on about Mars. He has really been there. Use your head, you dumb bitch. He's just acting out the secret agent portion of his ego trip. I'm afraid that's not possible. Why not? Because we haven't implanted it yet. So that's that's kind of the part where you're not sure if this is really a dream or not. Because if that's the case, that they haven't implanted it, then maybe he really is Hauser. I do appreciate the vantage point of this movie, which is uh, the narration of, or the way that the story is told, sort of through third-person omnipotent, where the story knows everything that's going on, except you don't know everything that's going on. You know everything that's going on that you see, but you have to figure out all the little kind of clues and Easter eggs they lead in between of, is it real or is it imaginary? Right. And, again, I think it's one of the great parts of this movie. You, you question it from the beginning to the end of the movie. And there's little things. You're like, okay, I've got it wrapped up. I've got it figured out now. This is all the dream. Then you go to the next scene, and you're like, son of a... I think it's real. And you just do this You do this internal dialogue with yourself. You're like, it's, it's, it's real. It's fake. It's real. It's fake. I think they do a good job. Yeah, I, I wish they could have done a better job. And again, I go back to, I think, in the hands of a... Uh, of a director who wasn't as ham-handed as Verhoeven, that foreshadowing and that questioning could have been played better because then we go right into let's throw blood all over the place and let's let's have a meat puppet go up the escalator with Arnold. <laughs> the problem I have with this movie is it can't decide what it wants to do. Right? Does it want to be tongue-in-cheek? Does it want to be adventure? Does it want to be sci-fi? Does it want to be a head game movie? So it does all of those and it doesn't do any of them in my mind and and I, don't get me wrong i i enjoy this movie in a beer and pretzel sort of way it doesn't accomplish any of them well it just does them all adequately i can buy into that you're right the, 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 it's done okay yeah but it, there's not pieces that really rise above everything's just kind of okay yeah hey steve before we go on yeah it's time for brother well, brother what are we drinking I got some surprises tonight, guys. Well, then lead off. You're just you're you're like a puppy with a new chew toy. You got a big smile on your does face. Does it does it show? Yeah, it shows. All right. Actually, the first one I'm going to start off with is uh, we are having some uh, flying dog doggy style classic pale ale. This is a uh, a nice full flavored pale ale, a 5.5 percent alcohol. It's not bad. It's got a little bit of a bite to it. It's brewed by the Flying Dog Brewery. That's Frederick, Maryland, to you. <laughs> Mary Land. <laughs> Mary Land. Yeah, Froderick Mary Land. That's right. We lost Jeff. We lost Jeff. <laughs> Didn't see it coming. <laughs> Didn't see it coming. Call back. <laughs> yep. He's out. 
<laughs> so we're doing we're doing I'm doing a two for tonight. We're doing uh, that. It's it's a decent it's decent. I mean, I wouldn't. I mean, if it was in there, if it was in the in the cooler, I'd drink it. It's not bad. Uh, I no. will finish off the six pack. It's not one that I'm going to ever get rid of. Uh, the other one, Mark, you are going to appreciate this, and we're going to have yes, to call yes. our good and dear friend uh, Tony. I drop my bullet. Um, <laughs> my God, I drop on my bullet. We're going to have to let him know about this one. It's up here. It's up here in the uh, the Midwest. Is over the Rhine ale? Really? Yeah, got it. I picked it up today. They just got it in at. 20- Is it a Christian? It's Christian Moorline, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Moorline. Moorline over the Rhine. It's their. Uh, they've got two that they just got in at Twenty First Amendment. They've got this, and they've got uh, an IPA. Uh, unfortunately, I had already bought the Flying Dog. Uh, I should say, unfortunately, it's a good. It's a good pale ale. But had I seen it before I bought the Flying Dog, I would have got both uh, this one and the um the ipa but this one is actually pretty good it uh this one reminds me a lot of if you guys have ever had uh three floyds yeah yeah uh if you've ever had the three floyds it's like the wheat beer Mm -hmm. oh for the love of god i can't remember the name of it 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 tastes a lot like that it's pretty good it's got a little bit of a hoppy bite to it not a lot but it's it's good i really do like this one so i highly recommend over the rhine ale more line very good stuff. Can't go wrong. Um, there you go. Jeff, get your ass to Mars Muncie. What are you drinking? I want to tout something I had earlier this evening. Uh, I had some time to kill before uh, an event I had to uh, partake in. So I stopped by this, uh, this this burger joint in Indianapolis. Uh, Steve, you and I had gone to this same burger joint. Oh, yeah. Brew Burger. Uh, tried a Triton Imperial Stout. I could have Ooh. sat there all night long and drank that. Was it on tap? Yes, it was on tap. Wow. Um, if I didn't have a, a curfew, um, <laughs> or a pre-existing engagement, I just would. Yeah, or a pre-existing engagement, I just would have wrote my address on a napkin. <laughs> All right, you know, mail home. I would have just you know, told the, the the cab driver here, you know, <laughs> staple it to your staple <laughs> to your shirt, to my chest, and. Uh, Said, take me home, and you know, just dump me in the driveway. But, uh, but no, the, the Triton Stout, uh, Imperial Stout, very good, very good, very smooth. Um, you know, had it had no aftertaste, uh, loved it. And because of my previous engagement, I had zero time to do anything besides you know, dive home, have some dinner, and do my uh, my my duties here. So all I had was uh, well, I had a couple of choices, but I just decided to stick with the uh, the stout. Uh, not to mix my alcohols and oh, I just there we go. drinking Guinness. Drinking good old Guinness. Can't go wrong with Guinness. Never no, can't. It's a good. Uh, you know, the Triton was very, very similar to the Guinness. Cool. Nice. All right, Mark Schizoembolism Slover. <laughs> That's me. Put him out. I'll put him out again. I will not look at him the same again. <laughs> he so fits that. Title. Thanks. That's so why much. I did it because he doesn't. That's <laughs> I. I hate you, capitalism. Steve. I hate you both. Oh, uh, <laughs> I um I bought the Abita Sampler, an Abita Brewery out of Louisiana. Trying you beat, that. You beat a who? <laughs> I beat a Muncie. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Next weekend. <laughs> Next weekend. No, Abita Brewery. I'm having their Turbo Dog Brown Ale. Uh, it I, like you, Jeff and Steve. Solid, good beer, but 
I, I would say for fifteen bucks, I got twelve twelve beers. It, it was tasty, but nothing nothing to write home about. All right, here we are. We are back. We are going to go on to clip four, and I have to remember which one this was. Oh, yes, clip four. This is a great one. Basically, uh, Douglas Quaid has been uh, living with Sharon Stone. That's his wife, quote, unquote, wife. Uh, actually, she's an agent, too, and uh, she's been pretending to be his wife. Uh, she's actually the girlfriend of Michael Ironside, who is the agent who was sent to pick up Quaid, but is really trying to kill him. And after this whole thing where they tried to pick him up and he escaped, this is one of my favorite clips. This is probably one of the more humorous clips in the movie, but they missed uh, trying to capture him, and Michael Ironside and his uh, compatriot are walking back to the car. I'll go ahead and click clip for right now. I want that dead. I don't blame you, man. I wouldn't want a guy like Quaid porking my old lady. You saying she likes it? No, I'm sure she hated every minute of it. <laughs> you know, and you know the way he said it to you, he had that shitty grin on his face like, oh yeah, I'm sure she was just hating it. You know, we don't use the word porking enough anymore. You understand that? It's really falling out of style. It really you know, is. That, 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 that dates the movie right there. And, you know, the amount of F-bombs they were dropping, they might as well have thrown it in for that, too. Yeah, you almost wonder why they did. Maybe he was trying to be polite about maybe it. They were, maybe they, <laughs> yeah, maybe they were trying to keep the X rating out of it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it was either they had to either trade off the uh, uh, either that or the guy being uses the human body shields. Oh, yeah, there it was. Here's a trade-off. You can get rid of one of these the F words, or you can you can cut a few scenes out of here and not have the body be so riddled with bullets and uh, and chuck it down the escalator at just the right angle. Oh, my God. All right, this next clip here, I pulled this one out because this is, uh, this is a scene with Ronnie Cox, and this is the one that where he's just really intense. It's not like he got loud. It's not like he got violent. It's just the look on his face and the way he said it. This is the scene when he's basically telling Richter, I don't pay you to think. And so we're going to go ahead and play clip uh, five right now. Who told you to think? I don't give you enough information to think. You do what you're told. That's what you do. That scene literally, when I hear that guy yelling at him like that, I kind of get a chill. You could see he's that. He's really angry at him. Ronnie Cox, you can tell. He's a, he's an actor who's going to enjoy the lines he's got, and yep. he's going to choose scenery. And, and boy, does he choose scenery. He really does. And he does it not only in his voice, but just in his mannerisms. He really plays into the part that he is almost God running Mars. It's like people can live and die at my whim. And he really plays into that. And he really kind of lives up to it. And the last clip that I'm going to play is clip six. And this is this is my favorite one. And to this day, I will still use this line. It's kind of like the tail end line. But this is the clip where Arnold makes it down to the, uh, the alien reactor to give uh, atmosphere to Mars. And he's about hit the button, but Ronnie Cox is there. By himself, of course, because Arnold's wiped out the entire Mars security team, uh, all of them. There's this little dialogue back and forth between Arnold and Ronnie Cox, and I'm going to go ahead and play clip six right now. Mars will go into global meltdown. That's why the aliens never turned it on. 
And you expect me to believe you? Who gives a shit what you believe? In 30 seconds, you'll be dead. Then I'll blow this place up and be home in time for cornflakes. <laughs> cornflakes? I just love that. It's like, where did it come from? You almost wonder, did he ad-lib that? Because I love it. I'll be home in time for cornflakes. Um, point of parliamentary procedure. <laughs> By all means. Um, the floor, the floor is given this, to Vermonti. This, this quote here that you love so much, I think, is a perfect example of how bad the writing is in this movie. And if he did ad lib it, it was a because the writing was so bad in this movie, and he had no other choice. Or B, or I should say, and B, that was even worse than probably whatever they had written. Okay, I think that that was to me that- corny to the corniest. Cornflake. No, I I just I, I totally disagree. I'll, I still I still use that line today on people. Well, don't ever use it on me or man. me. And if you do, I'm not responsible for what I do. Don't make me angry, Steve. Hey, no, because you're dangerous over short distances. He, you don't like it when I'm angry. <laughs> he's, he's like a beaver. He'll gnaw at you. <laughs> Those kneecaps are mine. I'm trying to shake him off my leg. Is that it? Get him off, Get him off me. <laughs> just, just punt him. <laughs> I, I don't he's know. Like an, he's like an enraged Oompa Loompa. Oh, oh, Oompa Loompa. No, oh, the reason I on. do it's just it's it's <laughs> one of those it's one of those lines sure. that they throw out that is just so unexpected. It's one. It's yes. just the way. You, <laughs> Okay. You know what? I'm just I'm just gonna stop talking about it now because I'm obviously never going to win this argument. You can't. I'm sorry. You know you, you um, convinced me of some things. Um, the the floor wishes to call the vote. How, <laughs> oh, please, please how many call. in favor saying this line blows? All in favor saying this line blows? Signify by saying aye. 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 Nay. Nay. The not the eyes have it. This line blows. That's it. <laughs> Nobody's oh, getting my over the Rhine ale now because oh, it's gosh. all for me. Fine, be that way. I've got a twenty first amendment just up the road. <laughs> Big baby. Oh my god! Again, I sat there and I'm like cornflakes. I. <laughs> you know, you know, Steve. I thought you were going to say uh, that the one that you use most often uh, whenever you're in an argument with Deb is consider this a divorce. <laughs> as a gunshot rings out as the gunshot rings out no, that's... and then we hear a dull thud as, thud. as Steve has been kicked Disposed in the oh and I'll tell you speaker, when you say kicked in you know, <gasps> okay go go there go. the scene after <laughs> yeah the scene in the hotel room after he basically blows dr edgemeyer's face or head off and and the special forces guy come flying through the thing and they're you know arnold of course is just throwing guys left and right some guy just like bangs him on the back of the head with a pistol he goes on the ground everybody's beating on him well, there's a scene where Sharon Stone walks up and she's just kicking him in the ribs, and then she just lays this like three inch heel right in his crotch. I don't know if she had a thing for his schlong, okay? Because <laughs> and and the first scene when uh, he's been made and she like you know is trying to kill him with the gun and then they get in their fisticuff. Yeah, um, there are there's like three separate times. 
that they they get like this close up to his crotch uh, when her foot going into it on three different occasions. The first time was painful. The second time was really really uncomfortable, <laughs> and the third time I just couldn't take it anymore. All right, I but know, I'm it's like, like it's like almost you know like what I'm talking about, right? Yes. I oh know. yeah. How do you recover from? I mean, we've all we've all been there. We've all we've all taken one to the to the twigs and berries, and. <laughs> To the cornflakes? Yeah. Well, we've all taken one there. And it's, you know, it's one of those literally, you literally curl up in the fetal position and you're crying for mama. And, and when they show it in the movie, like when Sharon Stone, you know, nails him there, you know, he kind of like doubles over and he gets right back up and he's he's right back into the action. It's like, no, you're you're no. pretty you're pretty much no. down on the ground and you're about ready to throw up. That's, that's the effect that you get. And... He, uh, yeah, his his took some beatings one time, but then I again, feel. you know, he took steroids, and we know what happens there. So, well, yeah, there's that. We're done. We're done with clips. So I want to move on to. I think we ought to just move on to the uh, man cave uh, review on this well, one. Well, let's let's or, talk. Or do, about, talk, or, or do you have something you want to talk about? Terraforming end scene. I know that bug. Thank you. you. All right. Thank yeah. you. Talk right. about how they end this movie because this movie falls apart in the third act. The, the third act. I mean, no. You're spotting it two acts, aren't you? <laughs> I'm trying to be kind. Okay. I'm First, to, but let, let's talk about how this movie doesn't end or ends badly. And right, oh, the, did you catch that too? The Basil Polydorus ripoff of the first five chords of Conan at the beginning of the. I liked it. I did too. I, did, but I liked it. Thought, yeah, he he said he was trying to you know he was trying to pay homage. Really? Um, yes, to to co- he it was all intentional. When I first, I was thinking that's this music sounds familiar, mm-hmm. and you know, and I watched it more recently, and I'm like, holy cow, this music sounds familiar. And I was like, this is this is Conan, and he intended to do it. I don't remember much of music in between. I really don't. There's not much. There's a little bit. It's very subtle, but the opening. And thank you, Mark, for bringing that up because um, I I got called to task. I must say, uh, in the last by episode, by Hector. Thank you. Hector. Thank you, Hector. Our loyal listener, Hector, who um, pointed out bit, that... Bit it, slapped it, the host. Was, Thank you, it, Hector. It was a true crime. We it was. How, how we did not talk about um, the soundtrack in yep. the last movie. I, and yep. it is. And I and I, uh, I blame myself. I, I, I do, too. No, you don't. You blame me. <laughs> I, actually, that's right. I did blame like you. Like you guys always do. You, you monopolize okay. my time. But no, and actually, we should do that. I should do a throwback real quick, uh, not to belabor this thing, but the because uh, I'm a big soundtrack. I'm a big score person. The soundtrack and the score to Tombstone um, is excellent. It's very well done. The music is top-notch. It really sets the period. Uh, highly recommend. It is going to be in my uh, in my collection. It is one of those where I just really don't know why it never was there before. Honestly, it's really well done. And uh, thank you, Hector, for pointing that out. This one, the opening, um, the opening music to this, it's very dramatic. It's very much like Conan, and I thought the same thing. And when I looked through the trivia, uh, Jerry Goldsmith, who is just prolific in doing uh, soundtracks for movies said that he took a lot of the uh, uh, basil, um, Jeff, what's his last name? Polydorus. Thank you. Took a lot of that style and just kind of morphed a little bit, or took it as an inspiration. And I really like that. I like that kind of music because it's almost, 
I don't know, it's like almost Wagnerian or something. I just really liked how it fit into the movie. But you're right, after after the opening sequence, the music's kind of, eh, it's kind of like almost like background music. Yeah. It's not like it was in Conan. The music was a huge, huge part of Conan. And I think that's why I like Conan so much, because the music was just unbelievable throughout the entire movie. And that's what I like about uh, movie scores and soundtracks, is how much does the music draw you into the movie? Is it set the theme? In the very beginning, I thought that's what this was going to be like. And then after that, then it just kind of was like background. It didn't really do anything. It was almost like sitting in the dentist's office and listening to the, you know, do, 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 you know, it just, I don't know, it sucked. It did. Yeah, it was classic early 90s throwaway music. Yeah. But we want to talk about after that because we had to, I had to make a um, comment about soundtrack from Tombstone plus this one. But we wanted to talk about, or Jeff wanted to talk about the, uh, the great terraforming effects. That took place, and Jeff Record really time. Wa- Jeff really want to talk about how how true planet. to life the uh, the physics were in this. And yeah. uh, Jeff, take it away. Okay, so and, and I know Mark wants to jump in here, but but allow me to set the stage here. Okay, let, it's let me all just, yours. I'm just going to back you up on this. Please one. do, please do. So the terraforming, they you know the this, the show has been building up to uh, you know what what is what is it that the power what is the power that uh, Turbinium, uh, whatever that uh, is. Cohagen is 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 trying to keep from being unleashed, and well, it's this it's these reactors that basically will terraform the planet and give it an atmosphere. Okay, there there are some physics principles here that we have to take into account first. Uh, Mars' gravity is thirty eight percent of what our Earth's gravity is. Okay, so whatever you put out there is probably going to end up leaving the atmosphere in a short amount of time anyway. So you don't have an indefinite supply of whatever you're using, ice, whatever. Uh, The idea is you take these superheated coils and shove them down these giant glaciers in the Earth and it will release the oxygen that's been cooped up in the H2O and it will then create this atmosphere that we can all live under and live on Mars and blah, blah, blah. No, it's not going to work, okay? Because again, it has 38% gravity. Um, second of all, there is a 95% of Mars air is carbon dioxide, so it's already poisonous to begin with, okay? So you have the release of the oxygen into the air, combating 95% uh, carbon dioxide, doesn't work ever. And it sure doesn't work. And the amount of time that these two Hanyaks are sucked out into Mars <laughs> with this horrible puppetronics that's going on with their eyes bulging out and their heads exploding and, uh, you know, depressurizing. That is four agonizing minutes that we get to see that on screen. But in that four minutes, the entire planet, it, it has clouds. It has air, and everybody can just breathe. We don't need these domes. This is how we end the movie? I mean, Jerry Brockheimer couldn't have ruined it this much. (laughs) Wow. So, Jeff, tell me what you really think. Okay, so here's what I really think. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to play play an alternate card for that. Okay, please do. We're just going to give it. But maybe, maybe that's just it. Maybe that was all taken into account by the screenwriters. The ending where you're not sure, is this a dream, or was he really lobotomized? Maybe that was all taken into account. Maybe that was what it was. Maybe it was all 
a dream for Quaid. This is how it ends. And then when it faded out to white, you know, he's sent off to some institution, you know, eating through a straw. You ever think of that? Hmm? Hmm? Bet you didn't. Uh oh. Uh oh. Score. I got him. <laughs> I know. You know what? <sighs> on a debate, on a debate team right now, I would just walk across the room and punch you in the face. Okay. <laughs> and then run away. And I just walk off stage because I lost. Okay. <laughs> That's. <laughs> Hey, you know what? I'm, tr- I'm trying to defend my movie here. Um, and, and that's, you know, actually, it's not a bad defense. If I'm it's not a bad defense. Yeah. Um, yeah. He demolished your your brilliant scientific explanation in about ten seconds. I know. <laughs> I'll look at it from the standpoint of the scriptwriters just cheaped out. They looked at this and they said, "Oh crap! It's over two hours, and we got to end this movie." Yep, that's it. And they didn't because they dropped these little Easter eggs of, "Are we in a dream or are we not?" And then Paul Verhoeven gives this, well, I, I have this whiteout scene to show that maybe he is. No, you're using that as an excuse to cheap out because you you didn't know how to end this damn thing. And, and you're right, Mark. It was. I, I agree with you. They really didn't. And my, my whole my whole retort to Jeff was just what it was. It was just a, <laughs> it was it was a devil's advocate uh, throwback no, there. But no, no you're right. If they didn't know how to end it. They just, uh, they were just trying to make this into a quick, cheesy action movie and try to get the cheap way out. And that's, that's all it was. I mean, really, you're, you're truly right. Should we go to closing here? So we, can we should go, this? we should go to closings, folks. We are going to close not this one. We're going to go to, uh, Mark Schizoid Embolism Slover and get his thoughts on this fantastic and fabulous film. You need my point score on this bad boy? <laughs> no, give it to me. I can take it. All right. I got to give this one a six and a half. It's a popcorn movie for its time. It was fun. If you catch it on rental, you're not, it's wash and wear. Put your brain on wash and wear. Don't think too much. It's got some moments. I think under, under a different helm, even with these actors, if it had a different director who had looked at some of the issues that they touch on, but they don't develop, this could have been a much more interesting movie. I really would have liked to have seen this played more in the Blade Runner Alien universe, and I, I hope that the 2012 reboot that comes out kind of touches on that, because I thought if that had been done, this could have been a, a classic movie that fit in that genre. Uh, Jeff, get your ass to Mars Muncie. What do you say, sir? The premise of the movie and the backstory is... It's good. It works. The execution of it through the acting and uh, some of the writing uh, of the story, it falls apart pretty much at word go. The the actors, I think you could interchange almost any one of them uh, with anybody else. I don't think anybody here is a definite keeper. can't believe of the, the five options we had that uh, we had those five options. But... All in all, even though everything is average in this, it's one that you can just be, you know, sitting around on a Sunday afternoon flipping the channels and go, oh, Total Recall's on. Okay, fine. I'll do this. I'll read a magazine or whatever. It's watchable, but it's so average. You know, I, I'm going to only watch this if it's on TV. I'm not going to go, hey, you know, I feel like a movie tonight. I'm going to pop in Total Recall. Not that type of movie. So I concur with uh, Mark's score of six and a half. I'm going to surprise everybody, despite my um, vigorous defense of this movie. I'm going to give a six and a half, too, because my thing is, it's a fun movie. 
it's got a great story. The storyline is very well done. I mentioned a little bit before about the whole concept of uh, what Cohagen was trying to do, the whole sleeper agent um, plot, I thought was very, very cool in this movie. Uh, definitely a man cave movie. Guys will love it. Uh, very violent, a lot of blood, uh, a lot of gunfire. There are some uh, boobalage that we all get to see. Three awesome. of them on one girl, no less. So yep. there's that. That will do it for this show. I hope you enjoyed it. This was a fun one for me, at least, because, like I said, I love this movie. It's just a fun movie. Uh, it's not one of my all-time favorites, but, like I said, I, I will throw it in uh, every once in a while just to um, you know turn off the brain and just have a good time. All right, folks, that's it for the Man Cave movie review of Total Recall. Starring Arnold Schwarzenegger and Ronnie Cox, Michael Ironside, Sharon Stone. Join us next week where we are going to be doing a great tribute to uh, our troops for Memorial Day. We will be talking about the movie Patton uh, starring the great George C. Scott who couldn't have done a better job uh, portraying that guy. Look for us on our website at www.mancavemoviereview.com. Also on iTunes as Man Cave Movie Review, Man Cave being all one word. Give us a review, please. We'd love to have your review on uh, iTunes. Give us a review on iTunes. We'll give you a shout-out. All right, folks, that's it for the show tonight. Hope you enjoyed it, and we hope to have you listening to us next week. So this is me, your host, Steve Michael, signing off with my good and dear friend, Jeff. Get your ass to Mars Muncie. Steve, I just had a terrible thought. What if this is all a dream? Wow. And my other good and dear friend, Mark, schizoid embolism slover. You know, if I'm a rat and I see Michael Ironside coming towards me, I don't know what to Okay, we're out, folks. That's it. We'll see you next week. <laughs> Be right back. Hold on. All right. No, continue talking. I have to kill something. He went. He took his sword. <laughs> yep. Yep. Spider. Spider. No, it was. This thing was huge. Spider! The spider! You should have seen the fucking thing was carrying a goddamn suitcase over here. Steve, can you... Is it like have composite eyes and is very bad at cards? Yeah, it was. I'm like, what the... Because I look... That's what I was looking at. I'm like, am I playing tricks man. on me? And I turn around. I'm like, son of a bitch, he's coming right at me. The only man that uses a sword to kill, to kill a him spider. And, him and Londo Malari. <laughs> Yes. I do. I've got. It is. It's like, <laughs> that thing's got more blood on it than Bravehearts. I tell you, Steve, you what's know, crawling on your shoulder right now? Don't even. <laughs> <f-ing> <laughs>
I will I will come through the goddamn screen like a budget check and just rip out your heart. You you will come through the screen like people dove through windows and glass in this movie, won't you? Oh my oh oh god, we're 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 going. We are so going there. Jesus Christ.